I never thought I would be a preacher. To me, preachers were way up here and I was way down here, also raised in a small rural farming community. Any type of farm work you can think of, I've had the privilege, I guess, of doing it. I was going to inherit my uncle's farm and just be a good Christian in my home church. And God began to deal with me about leadership issues. I was always in leadership positions, but I didn't understand it. We got a new pastor when I was 14. He was 24. And he said, Gary, you have the leadership gift. And I said, what's that? And he said, I'm going to, decide, I'm going to disciple you and a few others. I want you to read this book. I'll give you three weeks, write a report on it, meet me in my office, and he changed my life. At a youth convention where a Native American was the keynote speaker, God began to deal with me about doing occupational ministry. I believe we're all in the ministry. Whatever you do in life, whether you're retired, whether you're in school, your school is your mission field, by the way, if you're in the military, whatever it is, you are called to be a witness for Jesus Christ. I'm not the only minister here. Uh, Pastor Daniel, the young guy up here, all enthusiastic. I appreciated your enthusiasm. Enthusiasm and passion will cover a multitude of sins, all right? And when you publicly speak, you make a lot of mistakes, but if you can have enthusiasm and passion, it will cover those multitudes of sin. And then when I, I, I went to see my brother off who was leaving for Vietnam, he was in the Navy in San Diego and my appendix burst, I almost died. I went from 165 pounds of fast, mean, lean, running back, anyhow, I'm bragging a little bit, to 85 pounds, literally. Peritonitis set in, uh, which is like gangrene. I was on medication for over a year, almost died. My home church had an all-night prayer meeting for me back in Illinois. God spared my life. And here I am with you today in Bell Chase, Louisiana. Not as good as Thibodeau, Louisiana, but Bell Chase, Louisiana. <laughs> um, and God gave me a vision, and I saw myself in a foxhole. Vietnam was going on, and I'd already led my first soul to Christ when I was just, I just turned 15, Libby, and it changed my life. It was a very dramatic experience in a little town called Rushville, Illinois, and a guy was going to commit suicide, and he prayed, God, if there's, you're real, send somebody here to talk to me about you. And it was my turn to talk. I knocked on the door with my friend Steve. Not a very good approach. I said, hi, my name's Gary. This is my friend Steve. We're out around the neighborhood talking to people about God. I'd like to talk to you about God. He said, just a minute. And he went back in. He got his revolver, put it up to his head, and he said, I've been standing in front of that mirror, boys, for about 45 minutes contemplating blowing my brains out, and I just said seconds ago, God, if there is a God, send somebody here to talk to me about you. I just want you to know God's got your number. He's got your number. He's put the hound dogs of heaven on you, and you might as well serve him because you're never going to be a good sinner. Once you give your life to Jesus, once you believe the gospel, once you embrace the Word of God, you might as well serve the Lord, you might as well be on fire for Him, because you'll never again be a good, selfish sinner. Just serve Jesus. What do you say? Amen. <laughs> and I love sinners, and I love saints. My number one team is the Bears. My number two team is the Saints. I couldn't lose the other night when you beat us, because both of my teams were playing, and it was 
really good, but you got to root for the home team. I had a vision in my mind's eye, and I'm not going to go through all the detail, but all the soldiers were running out, and they were getting killed in battle, and there was a red glow in their bodies, and I had my little New Testament, and I led a soldier to Jesus, and he said, I have to go. And he got up out of the foxhole, and he ran into the battle. He got shot. He died, but in his body was a white glow. And as I stood up in my mind's eye, I stood up in the physical, and the evangelist by the name of Lavoie Dewey with the singing Deweys, that's way before most of you were anything but a thought in the mind of God. He said, son, the Holy Spirit's all over you. And I'm like, okay, tell us what you just saw. And I explained what I just saw, gave my first altar call, about 15 people responded at that youth camp. And my pastor, who was there at the camp with me, what if he wouldn't have been at the camp with me? He said, God's called you to be a military chaplain. And I said, what's that? I didn't know much, did I, as a kid? I didn't know much. And he said, it's, it's, it's a witness. It's a preacher in the army. I'm like, I can do that. And for seven years, I did youth ministry, and I was in a time of prayer and fasting, and I said, Lord, I thought you called me to be a military chaplain. And he said, I did in my army. Old men make wars, young men fight wars. I say all that to say, I took all that time to say that I have a place in my heart for our armed services. The hardest funerals that I do as a pastor are babies, Children, people who take their lives, and military funerals. Had a young man in our church, went to his third tour of Iraq, charged the building, blew him up. It was one of the hardest, and he loved Jesus. He's on fire for Jesus. Our governor was there. Our lieutenant governor was there. And the way that the military honored that young man they would not leave his body all day, all night. If we could honor each other that way, if human beings can do it in military service, then you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of educational level, regardless of background, regardless of culture, regardless of political party, if we could honor one another in that way, the world might want what we have as Jesus. Can you say amen? And I know that some of you have served in our armed services. we got a couple Marines here today, and we honor you. We honor you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Gunner. All right. I got that out of my system. Now I can preach a little bit. Have you turned there to Psalms 23? You're in this series. You're calling Better Days No Matter What. Better days, the Scripture promises us, are coming. When the Lord is our shepherd, when He's not just our Savior, but He is our Lord, He is our shepherd, then the promise is better days are coming. But I'm calling the sermon today sheepdogs. Sheepdogs. Have you ever seen a sheepdog work? If you haven't, you need to go over and visit your pastor's house. He's got an Australian dog named Bear. That tells you something about his personality, doesn't it? 
I mean, they have a honing instinct. I've been to New Zealand. I've seen these sheepdogs drive hundreds and literally thousands of sheep out of the pen into the pasture, but scattered in the pasture back into the pen where they're supposed to be. It is amazing. We're talking about sheepdogs today. I want you to stand and we're going to read God's Word, so stand in honor of God's Word if you can. You can read from your device, or we will read from the screen together. I'll read it. You can just listen. We'll read our text today, verse 5, out loud. This is one of the newer NIV translations. Psalms 23, we'll read the whole chapter, verses 1 through 6, beginning at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valleys, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here's our text today. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love, your mercy, will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I always like to say, May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His Word and give us wisdom, give us understanding, and give us knowledge that we can truly live for Him. Amen? Amen. You can be seated. I always thought it was funny as a kid when preachers would say, you can be seated if you can, whatever. As you know, King David wrote many of the Psalms. And people are in agreement that he wrote this beloved psalm, Psalms 23. I like to call it, of all of his psalms, many of them songs, I like to call it his greatest hits, his greatest hit. It did not just chop top the charts for 40 straight weeks. He wrote it a thousand years before Christ. This baby has topped the charts for 3,000 plus years. As I mentioned, our text is verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. There are many who believe that everything we read about in these six short verses are events, very important, noticeable, prominent events that took place in the life of a sheep in a calendar year. And whatever happened to that sheep in the summer and in the autumn, in the fall, and in the wintertime. And, you you know, we have a lot of Africans in our church, and I always tease them, and I say, you think... uh, Uh, hell's going to be hot. Wait till you experience a winter in the Midwest. You're going to change your theology. It's not going to be. Every season of life 
Something is traced in a sheep's life in Psalms 23. David is reminding us in this beloved psalm that every need we will ever ever have in any decade, in any age, whether we're married or single or single again, whether we have a job or we lose a job, David is reminding us that every need we will ever have in any season of life Our great shepherd, our God that we love and serve, he will take care of us. Do you believe that? There's a parallel verse in your new covenant in the New Testament that reinforces this. There are many. But in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, the apostle Paul said, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. In this beloved psalm, Psalm 23, David is taking us from the home ranch, from the shepherd's house, from the owner, meeting every need throughout our lives. He's taking us all the way to the end of our lives in verse number six, where we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Remember verse 1, where the psalmist said, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Or some of us who were raised on the King James, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, David is saying, God is enough. Your relationship with him through Jesus Christ, it's enough. God is absolutely enough in life. When relationships fall fall apart, when, when your business declines, when you are facing unemployment, when you are facing shutdown, when the world seems to be flying apart, David 3,000 years ago said, no matter what, God is enough. Hallelujah. I would just say that if God is not enough in our lives, then nothing will be enough in our lives. If God is not enough in your life and my life, you can have all the money in the world and it won't be enough. You'll still be empty on the inside. You can have all the relationships and all the pleasure and all the prestige and all the position and all the power in life and all the influence in life, but if God is not in your life, then nothing is enough. All the promotions, all the possessions, everything, it won't be enough if God is not enough. So David takes us from the shepherd's home to green pastures along still waters up through deep, dark valleys. And now in our text, in verse 5, would you look at it? He takes us, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He takes us to those high table lands of summer. Many believe that the table that David is talking about here is not the type of table that we would set at, the type of desk that we would work at, or the type of table that we're going to enjoy that Sunday afternoon that our young brother here talked about 
And listen, I'm down in Louisiana. I got to eat some fish, okay? I got to eat some Cajun food. I don't need any hamburgers or I don't need any steak. I just need some good Cajun food while I'm here. It's really hard to lose weight when you're down here, by the way. So David's taking us to, there's a lot of people that they believe he's talking about those high, flat, plateau, what they call out in the Dakotas and in that part of our country, they call it buttes where the sheep would range. And he's telling us that part of our shepherd's responsibility that he does willingly is to prepare those places, those high plateaus, those buttes, if you will, where the sheep could graze during the summertime, during the autumn or the fall months of the year. And this meant that the shepherd had to go before the sheep, had to go beforehand, and had to do the hard work of preparation, had to make sure all the poisonous weeds were gone, had to make sure that the water sources were clear and were flowing, and had to take care of any predators there. I'm an outdoorsman. I like to hunt and fish. I could get into that last part, predator extermination. I like to hunt them at night with red lights. It's just an awesome experience. And I married a city slicker, and she doesn't understand it at all. But it's okay. Some of us remember the Boy Scouts motto, be prepared. Royal Rangers is a program that is in many of our churches, and their motto is, be ready. The French, I oversee 10 French-speaking congregations, mainly in the Midwest and Most of them are from the Democratic Republic of Congo, and they have this expression called mise en place, which means set everything in place. Get everything ready. I want to declare to you today on the authority of God's Word that the God you serve is at work. It may not seem like it, but I'm declaring to you on the authority of this psalm that God is at work even if you can't see it. He's creating an environment for you to grow in His relate in your relationship with Him. He's creating an environment where the church can extend itself into the community and reach people for Jesus Christ. Now, probably not down here, but in the Midwest where I'm from, Our favorite time of the year, yes, spring and fall is great, but there's a lot of people that like summertime in the Midwest. You can go water skiing. I used to do the slalom thing, you know, and then when you get older, just the limitations begin to squeeze in on you in life. And, you know, young people say who are all fit and have these skinny waists, they say, well, you need to drink more water and you need to stretch out more. And I'm like, shut up, you're going to get old someday. It's just the way it happens. But for the shepherds that David is talking about, summertime is a time where a common pest arrives, and they're called flies. It's fly time. Bot flies, blue flies, heel flies, nasal flies, deer flies, back flies, mosquitoes, gnats. Do you have these little bitty bugs down here called 
No seems. No S E E E M S. That's the weirdest name for a bug on the planet. We have these little bugs called no seems. And I mean, those no seems take a hunk out of you. Literally, your skin will bleed after the no seems bite you. And you're like, I'm going crazy. I can't see them. That's because they're no seems. <laughs> the shepherds in the summertime, they would come prepared with these home remedies linseed oil, olive oil, other types of ingredients that would create this salve for the sheep. Notice the middle part of verse 5. Look at the text. Look at your Bible. Look at your device there. It says, you anoint my head with oil. If you've ever worked with livestock, you know you have to do this. You have to apply, apply some type of salve, some type of oil when the bugs are out. In our case, it's summertime. And it has a fragrance. That fragrance helps repel some of the flies. Some of those flies will lay eggs in the soft membrane of the sheep's nose. And when the eggs hatch, worms begin to make their way, I'm going to try not to be too descriptive, up the membranes of those sheep, and they get into the head of the sheep, and it drives them wild. Have you ever seen a wild human being? You ever seen a wild teenager? A wild young adult? A wild old man that doesn't know how to act his age and behave with his age. That's what sin does to us. That's what iniquity does to us. That's what transgression does to us. We are God's highest creation and sin just turns us into wild animals. But I'm so glad that he anoints our head with oil. Animals get sores from fighting, from barbed wire from fences and those sores scab over and the shepherd has to put the oil on those scabs to prevent the transfer of disease. Livestock owners, in our case, shepherds, they create these dipping stations. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And the animals pass through there, the sheep pass through there to make sure that they're not only treated to keep the different bugs away, but they're covered and they're, they're, they're sealed, all these scabs, so that disease will not spread. I'm so glad that once you give your life to Jesus, you can trust Him to keep you until you dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If, like me, you gave your life to Jesus Christ as a young person, Libby, you are missing out on nothing the world has to offer. When I was your age, my football team members would try to get me to do this and do that and try to tempt me with this and tempt me with that. But whether they knew it or not, I had what they wanted and needed. 
And that was a personal relationship with Almighty God through Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He anoints my head with oil and he satisfies for a lifetime. The longer I serve him, George Beverly Shea used to sing, the sweeter he grows. There's internal fighting among flocks and herds. And good shepherds anoint with oil to prevent injury from these conflicts. Sheep will fight in order to create a pecking order, a breeding order, and they get injured. And of course, there are predators that maim them and injure them and, and kill sheep. But a good shepherd will rub that oil, rub that lubricant onto the horns of the sheep so that they can slide off one another whenever there's a struggle. And it helped them, it helped them to deflect the impact of a blow from another sheep. I'm so glad he anoints our head with oil. He will anoint you. You can do things you never dreamed that you could do. You can say things you never dreamed that you could say, I could never be a witness. Yes, you can. Go through that place. Be in that place where he can anoint you. Love righteousness and hate iniquity. That's the key to the anointing. Psalms 45, 6 and 7. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 9. L love righteousness, hate iniquity. He will anoint you so that there's fighting going on. You won't get injured. You won't walk away from Jesus. You won't walk away from the church. You say, preacher, I've been hurt in church. You ought to be a preacher. The things that people say to you in the church, in the lobby, before and after church, it's like, oh, my lands. I buried two of my pastors within 35 days of each other. It was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. Our music pastor was the greatest human being I'd ever worked with in my life. He had never been to church. He had never read the Bible. His wife got saved. They were in a group called Champagne. Their number one hit was How About Us? None of you know what I'm talking about. And she, she said, okay, I won't bug you about coming to church anymore if you'll just read the Bible while I'm at church. And he, they had a good marriage. He read the Bible all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. He was not saved. He did not know Jesus. I can't even get Christians to read the Bible, let alone study it and memorize it. And she kept going to church. She never invited him to church. And then he read it again all the way from Genesis through Revelation. He showed up one time when she was out of town, and these are the words he used. He wanted to see what kind of buffoonery his wife was into. And we had a choir, and it was shaped like a V, and there was a little Mexican-American girl right in the, in the middle, Lucy Gonzalez. She was an intern. As she was so full of God, so full of the Holy Spirit, she's worshiping the Lord. She's moving. She's just in, in it. She's experiencing the Lord's presence. And he said in his mind, he had never seen anybody worship God before. And he said in his mind, I don't know what that is, but I want it. He never told Rena he went to church. She came back. She went to church. He stayed at home. He read the Bible through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He read the Old Testament through for, for the third time. He got to Matthew, Mark, Luke. He got to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, chapter 2, 
chapter 3, and he read the story of Jesus and Nicodemus, and it all made sense to him why Jesus died on the cross. And he was convicted of his selfishness and his greed and his sin, and he laid on the floor and gave his life to Jesus Christ. Became an elder in the church, became a pastor, became one of the greatest men I ever worked with. We had a choir. It's not politically correct now, but the name of our choir was the Flaming Missiles for Jesus. We did an Africa tour. We did a United Kingdom tour. We did a South Pacific tour. We went all over the Midwest, produced some albums. If you ever saw the old movie Sister Act, that was us. We rocked it for Jesus. Michael got a brain tumor. He died. I was his caregiver for five and a half months. I changed his diapers. I spoon-fed him. I took care of him. During that time, our senior saints pastor had a stroke and died. I buried two pastors within 35 days of each other. And standing in the lobby of the church, we had a Saturday night service, four Sunday morning services. I needed to preach. I didn't want to, but I needed to comfort the people. How do you deal with the loss of a beloved pastor? How do you do that? How do you do that? I preached Saturday night, made it through, preached the first service, made it through, preached the second service. By then, you're starting to get tired. I was drained because we'd buried Michael on that Saturday. I was emotionally drained. Pastors are human beings too. We're not perfect. And in between one of the services, you talk about being hurt. A crazy person said to me, you know why you buried two pastors within a month, about a month? And I just stood there. He said, because you and their wives did not have enough faith. And I said to one of my deacons, once a Marine, always a Marine. Who is a Marine? I said, would you usher this man out to the parking lot, and if he comes back on our property, have him arrested for disturbing the peace. And then I went into an office, and I bawled like a baby because I lost my friends. And I had to go back and comfort the sheep. Don't use that as an excuse because somebody said something bad about you or somebody ignored you or somebody didn't recognize you or somebody left you out or they don't know how hard you work and what you do and how you volunteer. Listen, let walk through that place of loving righteousness and hating iniquity and let him anoint your head with oil. He will help you. Look at our text again. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Those flat top high places, you anoint my head with oil. I like this. Notice that last phrase. Say it out loud with me, would you please? My cup overflows. Could we say it again? My cup overflows. This was a powerful symbol in the days of King David. In the east, the ancient east, if you went to somebody's home for a meal, for refreshment, there was always somebody there to keep your cup full. Now, when you overstayed your welcome, when it was time to go to bed, you know, my wife and I were in youth ministry for 15 years, and even as a pastor, young adults like to come and hang around with us, and they stay up too late. 
And so we developed this custom. We would get up and say, well, honey, we need to let them go so we can go to bed. And literally, I would say, lock the door, turn out the lights, and my wife and I would go to bed. Well, in the ancient East, if they were hinting it was time for you to leave, they would not keep your cup full. They would let it go empty. But if they wanted you to stay, and they really liked your company, and they were enjoying the conversation that was going on, they would not only fill your cup up, but they would overflow your cup and let the wine and let the drink, let it flow down on the table in a saucer, we would say today. So here King David is experiencing the overflow. The overflow. Have you ever experienced the overflow in your life? I would just say that it's only experienced by those sheep who have made Jesus their true shepherd and their true Lord, not just Savior. Well, I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven, and that's all that counts. No, it isn't. If that's all that counts, just come on down here. We'll slit your throat. We'll send you to heaven. Just kidding, just kidding. There's more to the Christian life than just believing. There's living for Jesus. Jesus talked about the overflow in John 10.10. He said, I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly, victoriously. My cup overflows, David says. He's speaking of the nature and the character of God. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, God will help you overflow with hope in him. There's your hope, pastor. There's your hope right there. It's in Jesus through the Holy Spirit's power within you. 1 Timothy 1.14, the apostle Paul said, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 55.7, he will abundantly pardon. I'm here to remind you that the God that you serve is an overflow God. Jesus said in Luke eleven thirteen, 13, if you then, are, are, though you are evil or natural, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I'll tell you how to get to this overflow stage in your Christian experience, in your walk with God. You got to turn your teacup you got to turn your coffee cup. You can't leave it upside down. If you want the overflow of God, you got to turn it right side up, sir. You got to turn it right side up, ma'am. That's what you got to do. You can't, when you go into a fancy restaurant, I was raised in a small town, farming community, like I said. I went to school in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The first time I went to a fancy banquet, I said to the guy next to me, they got too much silverware on the table. They got three forks. I only need one fork. They got two knives. I only need one knife. What they got that little bitty fork for? That's for your dessert, stupid. Oh, okay. Well, what's the smaller of the two of the big forks for? That's for your salad, dummy. I had, and then they had the cup turned upside down. I said, why they got the cup turned upside down? He said, if you want coffee or tea, you got to turn it right side up. I'm just here to tell you the God we serve, he's not going to force himself on you. you got to invite him to come. you got to open up your heart. you got to open up your life. you got to open up your mind, and you've got to desire to get closer to the Lord. Turn your cup right side up if you want the overflow from still waters, quiet waters in verse 2, to this overflowing cup in verse 5. 
David is reminding us that our shepherd loves us. He cares for us. He attended to the needs of David, and he will attend to your needs and my needs. He will help you. Just turn your cup upside down, right side up, and say, oh, I want you, Lord. I want to be closer to you. I want to be more full of your spirit. I want to walk in the spirit. I want to keep in step with the spirit. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. Amen. Ah, you got time for one more. Yes, thank you for coming. Musicians always give the people hope. (laughs) Always give the people. (laughs) I'm not supposed to, but look at verse 6. Would you look at it? Surely goodness and mercy, mercy, love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Anybody remember the title of the message today? Sheep doggies. Right here in verse number six are the sheep dogs that God uses to keep you and I straight, to get us where we need to go. Somebody said, How do you get to heaven, preacher? Real easy. Turn right and stay straight. These are the sheepdogs that God uses to keep us going in the right direction. Has God been good to anybody here? Some of you guys, some of you guys. I can't believe the woman God gave some of you guys. What did she see in you? My land's God's been good to you. Some of you, like me, were not the brightest light bulb in the closet, but God has blessed us. And what we put our hand to, God blessed us. And we may not be rich, but He's always provided for us. Sometimes a little slower than we wanted, but He's been good to us. Has God been good to you? Oh, how great is your goodness, Psalms 31, 19 which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you. Mercy speaks of the Lord's loyal commitment to us, his loyal love. He'll not leave us, he'll not forsake us. You know why God has put the hound of heaven on your life? You know why God has assigned a couple Australian sheepdogs to your life instead of bear, one's called goodness and one is called mercy? It's because this world is not your home. This is not it. The psalmist said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God Almighty is trying to get you to heaven. That's why he's putting a roadblock in some of your relationships. That's why the loss of that job, it just wasn't man, but God needed to get you out of that place. Because you were compromising, you were doing things that you should not do. God's put His mercy and His goodness on your tail because you got to end up in heaven and not in hell. I read a story, a true story about a a parakeet in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Pootsie was her name. She escaped from her owner. She came into the keeping of the Humane Society, and no one claimed her. And finally, Sue Gleason claimed Pootsie, and they hit it off. 
They talked together. They bathed together. That's weird, but I read this in Reader's Digest. They became incredible friends. And one day, that little bird, Pootsie, did something that was incredible. Flew over to Sue Gleason, put her beak in Sue's ear, and whispered, 1500 South Onedia Street, Green Bay. Gleason was dumbfounded. She looked it up on the internet. She researched it. She found that the address existed. She went to the house. She found a 79-year-old man named John Strubens. Are you a Green Bay fan, Gunny? Oh, man. You live in Wisconsin. You're not, well, you better not tell him up there. Sue Gleason says to John Strubens, do you have a parakeet? This old man said, I used to, and I miss her terribly. And then he saw Pootsie. This is the weirdest story. And he was thrilled. He said to Sue Gleason, he said, you know, she even knows my phone number. It's a crazy story, but it's a true story. And it's not as crazy as we might initially think. Because God created that little bird with a homing instinct. Pootsie and Mr. Gleason, Mrs. Gleason were friends. But Pootsie knew that Mrs. Gleason's house was not her home. God Almighty has an eternal address fixed in your heart. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Deep down inside of you, you know that this is not home. So I'm asking you on this special Sunday, follow the shepherd. Don't quit. Don't turn away. He'll be with you through every stage of life. The green pasture stage, when things are going good. The deep, dark valley stage, when things aren't going good. The high top plateau stages. He has his sheepdogs. Goodness and mercy and they'll tell you which way to go David shows us in Psalms 23 that better days are ahead